My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that his word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of his word would point you to him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. Father, I thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers, that you always hear the prayers of the humble and the broken. Lord, we do not stand in pride, but we bow in humility. And we do ask you to start with us. Start by showing us our own hypocrisy, our own sin. Start by showing us where we have failed to live what we have proclaimed. And Lord, I pray that you would truly begin a spiritual awakening that starts in your church and that spreads the way it should spread, one person at a time, coming into a personal relationship with you through a spiritual awakening. Lord, we pray for that spiritual awakening. And Lord, until that comes, we pray for the courage to be salt and light in this world. We pray for our leaders. We lift them to you. We pray that you would speak to their hearts that you would lead them and give them the courage to lead well. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for participating in that time of prayer. Let me encourage you to continue to to continue to pray in the the days and weeks to come. And like I said, uh, we will be addressing these issues directly um, in the weeks to come. But, you know, wrapped up in all those issues, the topic that we had already planned for uh, this morning is politics, political polarization. Uh, I remember years ago talking to someone who had just come back from a family reunion, and he said, you know, we, we've been holding these family reunions for decades, and years and years ago, we had, to, we had to pass a rule that there were two things that we just simply could not talk about completely off limits in order to keep having these family reunions. We couldn't talk about religion, and we couldn't talk about politics. Well, beloved, this morning we're going to talk about both at the same time. And I guess we're going to find out what kind of family we are, right? Um, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. Uh, these are issues that are deeply personal. These are issues that are, uh, you know, where there is room for dis- seeing things in different ways on some issues. Uh, and I have to confess that what I'm about to share with you is not straight out of God's Word. I don't claim that everything I speak is God's Word. Now, I am going to read for you God's Word on several points. And that is God's Word. And I pray that, that whatever I say would, would not stand in the way of you hearing the truth of God's Word. Uh, I would simply ask you to open your hearts. Uh, I, I, I firmly anticipate that I will probably not make any of you happy at some point today. I mean, you'll probably all be upset a little bit at some point. Uh, and that's okay. But um, I, I want us to talk about this issue openly, transparently, um, and in depth. And so... Uh, you know, we want to talk about the church's role in politics, the Christian's role in politics as well. You know, we're living at a time when the culture wars of politics is at a fever pitch. 
I don't, I don't think there's any debate over that. Both Republicans and Democrats have done an outstanding job of painting the other as extremists, out-of-touch, wackos, who, if they stay in power, will endanger our very uh, survival as a nation. That's the environment we're living in, without question. Um, and, and we've come to a point where the two parties find it impossible to even listen to each other, much less work together for the good of the country. And quite frankly, I don't know about you, but my, the, the response that I want to have is to just throw my hands up in disgust and say a pox on both your houses and just be done with it. But I don't believe that's the response that God would have us do. I don't believe that's a God, the response he would have me do. Um, on the other hand, there are many Christians who believe it is our supreme responsibility to engage in the political de- debate and to do everything in our power to, uh, to get legislation passed that reflects our values and our beliefs. Um, in his book, Culture Shock, uh, Pastor Chip Ingram offers the following graphic that helps us to see the spectrum of responses. Let's just look at this for a moment. On one side is what you might call the separatist view. The separatist view, which, which basically reflects the view that, that many Christians have that uh, you know, let's keep our politics and our religion separate. They have nothing to do with each other, and so we're going to treat them completely separate. Therefore, we, some people would say there's no involvement in politics at all. Others would say we get involved in politics, but we relieve our religion out of it, that we keep those things completely separate. On the other hand is the activist uh, movement, which is high involvement with the attempt to influence and change policy according to our values. Now, that's kind of the two extremes. The question is, where should we as God's people stand? Where sh- how should we be involved as God's people in the political world? I mean, should we take this stand on the left? It has nothing to do with political left and right, just where it happened to land. But on the left here, should we be completely disengaged? Or should it be our primary concern? Or is there somewhere else that we should stand as God's people? I want, us, uh, I want us to look at that this morning. I want to look at it carefully. Let me first of all point out the flaws in each of the extremes. The flaws in the extremes. On the separatist side is the idea that is based in the belief that Christianity is nothing more than one of the roles of my life, and therefore I can keep that role separate from the others. That is, that is highly unbiblical. That is absolutely not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that our life with Christ is not a role. It is our life. It is our very being. Who we are as God's people is that we are followers of Christ, and that defines every role in my life. So we cannot take the separatist view in the strict sense that just simply says, I'm going to separate my faith from my politics. That is a complete denial of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He must influence every part of our lives. On the other hand, the flaw in the activist view um, is the idea that our primary mission as a church or as Christians is to change culture. Now, if you were not here two weeks ago, I want to highly encourage you to go back and listen to that message from two weeks ago. 
Uh, in fact, it, it is, I really, really want to encourage you. can do it free by going to the website. But listen to the message. Because so much of what we will be talking about in the coming weeks, the foundation was laid in that message. I'm not going to repeat everything I said, but I do want to say this. Uh, one of the points that we made there is this. Our mission is very clear. Jesus left us with a very clear mission. It is to make disciples. That is our mission. We are, our first priority is to lead people into a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ in which he then begins to change them from the inside out. That is our mission. When we start with politics... We are operating on the flawed logic that it is possible to get people who don't know Jesus to buy in to his values and his character. And it will not work. And in some cases, it will stand in the way of our real mission, which is to make disciples. Because what we will end up doing is making people defensive and not listening or seeing the witness in our own lives. So the activist view also has issues. I'm not saying that we can't be active. But the extreme position that this is our primary role in society does not sync with what Scripture says. So what does Scripture say? I mean, let's look to God's Word. And I'm just, I'm going to, for the most part, read you four passages with very little comment. I'm going to give a little bit of comment on the first one just to give you context. But I want you just to hear God's Word Uh, These are four key passages in the New Testament that speak to the issue of how we relate to government, how we relate to the state. Starting in Matthew 22, beginning in verse uh, 17. Uh, You've got to understand that what's going on here is that the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. Uh, They've been looking for a way to trap him in a number of different ways. Uh, And then this is their latest attempt. And here's their attempt. They, they ask him the question, is it proper to pay taxes to Caesar? Is it proper to pay taxes to Caesar? They, in their mind, they're thinking this is a no-win situation for Jesus. Because if he says, no, don't pay your taxes to Caesar, give your money only to God, then he's going to be in trouble with the Romans. On the other hand, if he says, do pay your taxes to Caesar, then there are going to be those uh, on, the, on the side of the church, uh, the, the Jewish community in this time, who will be mad at him because he is saying he is supporting the empire of Rome. So they think that they've got him in, a, in an impossible trap. Listen to what Jesus says, beginning in verse uh, 17. Verse 17. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin that you use to pay for the that you use for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, "Whose portrait is on this, and whose inscription?" Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, "Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's." The second passage is from Romans thirteen. Romans thirteen, beginning in verse one. Paul says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority on earth, uh, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against that authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? 
Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant, and do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, if it is necessary, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. And then we need to back up to Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in jail. But during, I'm sorry, let me, where does this begin? 27. Having, I just read earlier in the chapter, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And then lastly, from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. All godliness and holiness. So when we take those four passages together, by the way, let me just explain that that this exercise highlights a very important principle when it comes to understanding the Word of God. We must not be guilty ever of taking a single verse and building an entire theology on one verse. We must understand that in many places in Scripture, what's being said is being spoken to a very specific issue and applies only to that issue. Or it applies in a broad way, but doesn't take into consideration some specific responses. So we look to the whole counsel of God's Word to get the full teaching on the matter. So what can we draw from those scriptures as we look at them together? The first one is this. There are two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of man. There is a kingdom of God which reigns uh, in eternity and over all things ultimately. And then there are also earthly kingdoms in which each of us live. Everyone lives in some kingdom, even if it's a tribe somewhere. We all live in, in, in a kingdom of some sort. And there is an order there um, that, that we are a part of. The second point is, is that ruling authority on earth is established by God. Ruling authority on earth is established by God. Now, i got to tell you, this is, this is a tough one. This is a tough one for me in many cases because you ask the question, does that mean that God himself was behind the Nazi government? Does that mean that God himself is behind governments that are ruthless and terrorist in, in every sense? Uh, let me explain what I believe that Scripture is saying here. I believe that what Scripture is saying is that God is the author of order and authority, and he has built order and authority into our world, and we were made to live under authority. That's part of the way we were designed to live. Therefore, we're going to be uh, most fulfilled when we're living that way. 
that does not mean that God is behind every government or every state or every political party. That doesn't mean that. Um, In fact, there are many cases in Scripture where it is clear God is using a certain government that is is, uh, completely contrary to who He is for His purposes to bring wrath. So God has established Him, but to bring wrath, not to bring peace and not to bring His purposes uh, other than that wrath. So the question is, and we are called to live under authority, but there is an exception. The exception that's very clear is that we do not submit to earthly authorities when it requires us to disobey God's word. That is the clear teaching of Acts 5.27, and I believe that is perfectly consistent with what Paul is saying. We see this actually throughout uh, the book of Acts. We see the, the apostles standing in the pace of persecution from the government to proclaim God's word. Here's one thing about it. They also accepted the consequences. They also accepted the consequences. They stood, they, they stood in, in, the, in a place of loyalty to God's word. And when they were thrown in prison for it, they accepted those consequences. They, they knew what they were doing. They knew it was against the law. And they accepted the consequences that came from it. That's where we get the whole concept of civil disobedience. Civil disobedience is a biblical uh, concept that we would stand against government where government is in violation of God's word. We, can't, we not only can do that, but we must do that. Thirdly, what we gain from these scriptures is that the purpose of ruling authorities is to protect the good and to punish the bad. To protect the good and to punish... That's what governments are meant to do. That is God's intention. Obviously, not all of them do that, but that is God's intent in creating the, uh, the whole dynamic of earthly authority. Fourthly, Christians must submit to ruling authorities on earth, except, I got ahead of myself a moment ago, when, co- when doing so would cause us to rebel against God. I've already made that point. The last point is this. From those scriptures, we see that Christians are to pray for those in authority with the simple goal, the simple goal, that we would be free to live out our faith in peace. Now, these are basic biblical principles. I mean, that's as straightforward and as un- unfiltered as they can be. That's just, those are the principles. The harder question is, how do we live in faithfulness to those principles? When it comes to practicalities, how do we practically live in this cultural environment of cultural political war, how do we as Christians live faithfully according to those principles? Let me share several points of practical guidance. The first one is this. I believe God is calling us to be good dual citizens. To be good dual citizens. Now, this does not violate what I said earlier about the fact that being a follower of Christ shapes every part of my life. What I'm saying is that God's word, Jesus himself said... It is possible to be a good citizen of the kingdom of God and a good citizen of Rome at the same time. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. He says, you can do that. I want to say even further, I believe that when we are great citizens of God's kingdom, we will generally be great citizens of earthly kingdoms because we will live in ways that that society as a whole generally accepts. Obviously, that's not always the case. And we have to deal with those specific cases. 
But I do believe that it is possible to be both a good citizen of the kingdom of God and a good citizen of our nation. At the end of the day, however, let me add this last point on that. At the end of the day, we must always remember and never forget that our ultimate loyalty is to the kingdom of God. It is not to this nation. Though I am proud to be an American, I love our country, but I want to say very clearly, our first loyalty must be to the kingdom of God. And whatever stand that leads us to take. Secondly, I believe we should fulfill our civic duty in keeping with our faith. Uh, let, me, let me make a point here that, uh, that shouldn't be misunderstood. The writings of the New Testament were written to a people who lived in a totalitarian society. They lived in Rome as Jewish people. They had no voting rights. Um, as Jewish Christians, most of them had no voting rights. They did not live in a government in which they as individuals could shape the, the direction of the nation. That's a very different place from where we live. We live in a democracy where it is not only the right but the responsibility of Americans to engage in the political process. I believe with all my heart that being a good citizen of the kingdom of God can allow me to be a good citizen of this nation by doing my duty. That means I believe that all Christians should vote in keeping with our faith. We should let our light shine by being involved in the political process and voting accordingly. We should be good citizens um, in in keeping with our faith. Um, Thirdly, if we do belong to a party, we must be light in that party. If we do belong to a party, we must be light in that party. And let me just go ahead and tell you, this is where it gets a little personal. This is where it gets a little messy. This is where it can get sticky. This is where the family reunions uh, get their, uh, their rules. It's on points like this. But I, 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 just, I want to be very transparent here, and I want to be personal. Uh, I want to talk to us about this whole issue of the parties because that is the cultural war that's going on around us, is the, the war between the parties. How do we as Christians engage, n- not get sucked into the war, but live as, as witnesses to an alternative kingdom, which is the kingdom of God? How do we both engage without getting sucked into the war? That's a question. I do believe it's it's possible to be a part of a party, but we must be light in that party. Just to give you a little family background, my grandfather was something of a politician, not a major politician, but a politician nonetheless. He was a staunch Roosevelt Republican. No, Roosevelt Republican. I I was testing your history knowledge right there. I, I guarantee you there are a lot of people here that would never have caught that if I hadn't said anything. You have no idea what that means, right? Uh, He was a staunch Roosevelt Democrat. And in his view, anyone who had a brain would always vote Democratic. And that's just the way he lived. I mean, he was 100% completely loyal to the Democratic Party. My father, perhaps because of that, was pretty apolitical. Uh, I hardly ever heard my dad talk about politics. Uh, uh, I, I... can guess how he typically voted, but he was not highly involved in politics. 
I, I came of age as a teenager, late teenager, early, uh, early young man during the years of Ronald Reagan and the moral majority. And I'll tell you that, that during those years, I believed that as a Christian, uh, it was almost imperative that we vote Republican. That's where, I was, that's where I lived in the 80s and the 90s. I can tell you that as I grew older as an adult, I increasingly became disillusioned with the whole process. That's why I said what I said earlier. The older I got, the more I, I just basically, I became a staunch independent. And I declared that I, want to, I don't want to belong to a party. I want to be an independent. Now, the downside to that is that I have no influence from within. Okay, that's the downside. Now, for me, I, I do believe that's exactly where God wants me to be. Uh, it's just where I think God wants me to stand as a person. Not only that, I am absolutely convinced that if I were to get involved in a party, that's the one thing that would probably cause my wife to leave me. And I don't want my wife to leave me. So I don't have ambitions towards politics. Um, but I will say that does mean that I have no influence from within. There are those who believe that God has called you to be a part of a party. But I want to say here that if God has called us to be that, then I believe with all, with all my heart that God wants you as a follower of Jesus Christ to be light in your party. To be light in your party. Um, yeah, what does that mean? Um, it means that we are light by letting God's word lead us on every point, even if it means that I stand against my own party. Even if it means that I don't get in lockstep with the party as a whole. Again, can I just speak very transparently? Very transparently. I, one, of my favorite, um, one of my favorite things about our church is that we are a diverse congregation. And I want to speak very transparently about some issues that are related to diversity. And, uh, and let me just say this. In general, this is, gen- this is a broad brush, but I- I'm going to paint that broad brush. In general, Republicans have, con- have courted the white evangelical vote. We agree with that? In general, the Republican Party has courted the white evangelical vote, and the Democrats have courted the African-American vote. And I believe that deep down, in the end, we have to understand that the expectation of both parties is that we will give that party our complete loyalty as members of that party. So the Republican Party courts white evangelical Christians, and it expects white evangelical Christians to get in lockstep with the Republican Party. Uh, The same is probably true in the Democratic Party. Uh, The the effect of that is this. Uh, Here's my point. Um, well, let me start here. One thing I have to think we have to consider is this question. This is going to be a hard question. But the question is this. Because of that, understanding how deeply this is a part of our culture, we must all ask ourselves the questions. Have I been more influenced in my beliefs and views by my party or by the Word of God? By my party or by the Word of God? And I suspect that every one of us would have to admit that at some points we have been more influenced by politics than by the Word of God. And I believe that the first call here is to acknowledge that and confess it. And to say, Lord, help me to be light. And if you want to know what that looks like, it would look like this. It would mean that for a Republican to say, 
I will stand with you here because it is consistent with with my beliefs as a Christian, but I will not stand with you there because it violates the Word of God. And it would mean the same thing for Democrats, that we become voices within the party of standing for the people of God and for the Word of God. Um, Here's my point, that as Christians, both black and white... We should stand with those who share our beliefs and values. But when those same people take a stand that is in violation of God's word, we must stand against them on those issues. What does that look like? I was asked that question this week. Practically, what what difference would that make? What does that really look like? Can I just say it in broad terms this way? If every white, evangelical Christian had the courage to stay to the Republican Party if you're a part of that party. I will stand with you here, but I will not stand with you there. It would bring change. And the same would be true on the Democratic side as well, right? If we all had the courage to do that. And and you know something that really struck me this week? I am hopeful that we are beginning to see that take place because of the incidents of the past two weeks. I believe we're beginning to see a break in that polarization that we as Christians desperately need to be a part of in saying that our first loyalty is radically to the kingdom of God and not to our nation or our political party. I think we've seen evidence of it. Where? I think we saw evidence of it when a number of prominent white Christian Republicans had the courage to stand up and say that out of love for my African-American brother and sister, let's take down the Confederate battle flag from the courthouse and put it in the museum that I love my African-American brother more than I love my right to celebrate my heritage in that way. I believe that was a powerful demonstration of those within the Republican Party saying, we will no longer stand here. It took a tragedy to bring that about. But thank God it came about. I know there's controversy over the issue, but what I'm saying is this. This is where, again, we have to ask ourselves the question. Have I been more influenced by my party or my culture than the Word of God? Can we possibly say as Christians that a flag is more important than the, the offensiveness of that flag to my Christian brothers and sisters who happen to be black? Can we possibly say that? And I'm thankful for those who said it. At the same time, we saw in the last two days that among the most vocal of those who are standing in protest to the Supreme Court's ruling have been black pastors who are most likely Democrats. And yet they have been willing, without fear, without hesitation, to stand and say, we believe this ruling is wrong. And we will stand against it even though the Supreme Court has ruled in this way. And even though our party stands in that place. We will not stand with our party on that issue. I believe we're seeing the possibility of a break. The fourth point is this, and I want to touch on it quickly. 
but it's very important. The fourth point is this. In all of these issues, we must give spiritual we must give priority to spiritual power over political power. Again, this was one of the primary points of the message 2 weeks ago. But the message is this, to to any degree that we as Christians have trusted in politics to bring about the change we need more than the power of God to transform the hearts of people, we need to repent of that. And we need to return to a place where we understand and give ourselves to uh, the, the understanding that prayer and the spiritual resources God has given us are our most important resources. I shared a quote with you two weeks ago from Jim Cimbala, uh, from Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I want to share that quote again, but I'm going to share with you a longer portion of it. I shared a short portion of it last time. I'm going to share a little bit more because it connects directly to this subject. Let me just read it, and I believe this will sum up this point. Jim Cimbala says, Am I the only one who gets embarrassed when religious leaders... You've got to understand this was written 20 years ago. Am I the only one who gets embarrassed when religious leaders are in America? Talk about having prayer in public schools. We don't even have much prayer in our churches. Out of humility, you would think that we would keep quiet on that particular subject until we practice what we preach in our own congregations. It was written 20 years ago about prayer, but I believe you can see the connection uh, with with the issues of today. I'm sure that the Roman emperors didn't have prayer to God in their schools. But then the early Christians didn't seem to care what Caligula or Claudius or Nero did. How could any emperor stop God? How, in fact, could the demons of hell make headway when God's people prayed and called upon his name? Impossible. In the New Testament, we don't see Peter or John wringing their hands and saying, oh, what are we going to do? Caligula is bisexual. He wants to appoint his horse to the Roman Senate. What a terrible model of leadership. How are we going to respond to this outrage? Let's not play games with ourselves. Let's not divert attention from the weak prayer life of our own churches. In Acts 4, when the apostles were unjustly arrested, imprisoned, and threatened, they didn't call for a protest. They didn't reach out for political leverage. Instead, they headed to a prayer meeting. Soon the place was vibrating with the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles had this instinct. When in trouble, pray. When intimidated, pray. When challenged, pray. When persecuted, pray. And I believe that is ultimately where God would have us land on this issue of how do we engage in the political cultural wars around us. May our first instinct be, we desperately need to see the hand of God moving in our lives first and in our nation. May we once again become a people who understand the radical power of prayer. And we're going to close right there. I'm going to ask those who are serving communion to come to prepare the elements. I want to give you an opportunity to leave in a state of prayer. Uh, We're going to open these altars in a moment. You can come and kneel here if you would like and receive Holy Communion. You may just need to come and kneel and pray, to continue to pray along the lines that we've spoken of earlier in the service. But But I do want to invite us as a people. Will we let God speak deeply to our hearts on this issue of, what it means to live as dual citizens. First, 
of the kingdom of God, and second, as Americans. Our nation is in need of our prayers. It is not in need of our piety. It's not in need of our condemnation. It does need to see us stand on truth. It needs us to walk in love. But above all, it needs to see us humbly praying and calling on God to do what neither we nor any political party or power on earth can accomplish. That God would change our hearts as we submit fully and completely to Him. Would you stand? Let's just begin to respond however you feel led to respond. You don't have to be a member of our church if you want to receive Holy Communion. Just come. If you're a believer, you're welcome to come. And if you're not, then today would be a great day to start that relationship. Today would be a great day to come and to ask one of those who are standing behind these altars in prayer to pray with you and to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's some of you who just need to be prayed for, for a a burden in your life. There are people here at the altars who are ready to pray for you. Just come, lift a hand, and they'll be glad to pray. Three, three.